Welcome to another episode of Stat Stories, where we take a deeper dive and a deeper look into statistical intrigues throughout professional sports. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chad Shanks. And I am the second host, Justin Kabatko. And we are just one week removed from Derrick Rose being traded from the Chicago Bulls to the New York Knicks. And Knicks fans, I don't really know what you're expecting to get from this guy because the Bulls really just traded what's left of Derrick Rose. So it got us to thinking with all of his injuries and all of the things that have gone down from to make him fall from an MVP to what he is now. Like, was is Derrick Rose, did he have the biggest fall of any all-star level player? Was his career derailed more than any others by injury? So we looked it up. We checked the stats and we've ranked them and we found our own team, our own starting five of players who have been derailed by injuries, the promise of their careers broken by their own bodies. So this is episode 11, Broken Promise. Alright, so before we get started, let's set down the ground rules for what we're trying to do. What we're looking for is a team, to create a team, a player at each position, where these players were all-star level Hall of Fame potential type players whose careers were just derailed or altered greatly by injury to the point to where they never reached the the lofty promise or the lofty goals that they would have reached probably with otherwise. And so we've cracked we've gone through the numbers, we've set up all these players who we know who have had these career altering injuries and we've ranked them and gone through the numbers but overall this is a very subjective list that we've agreed upon because there are so many factors that that go into trying to say which player had the the worst career altering injury and right and you know let me let me emphasize real quick the fact that like what you said we're only dealing with players who were already all-star caliber players so like greg Oden, we're not going to talk about him Greg Oden, I think, would have been a great NBA player had he been healthy, but he just never had a healthy season and therefore never really got to all-star level, and so we're not going to consider guys like that. So sorry for interrupting, but I think it's really important that we emphasize that because... Yeah, yeah, no, or someone like Jay Williams, whose career exactly completely ended, uh, we're not considering him, even though it was a bad injury, and this is not a worst injuries list. We want to make that statement up up front because that honor easily goes to uh, Maurice Stokes back in the 50s who fell during a game on a drive fell and hit his head and then on the airplane ride back complained that he wasn't feeling well had a stroke slipped into a coma and woke up later and was paralyzed so easily that guy without a doubt has the worst basketball related injury maybe one of the worst sports related injuries ever can we, so, can we talk about him just for what, a second because the story is yeah, really it's a crazy really... story. So for people who don't know, like Maurice Stokes um, was the NBA Rookie of the Year in 1956, also an All Star that year. His first three years in the league, he was a three-time All Star selection and also a three-time All NBA Second Team selection. So right from the start, I mean, he is a quality, quality player. And so, like you said, he had that terrible incident where he bangs his head in the court. Now, what's crazy is. They actually revived him with smelling salts during that game, and he went back out on the floor. Now, that would never happen, right? <laughs> with the concussion protocols now, yeah. that would never happen, right? But Yeah, people complain People complain about the concussion protocol or whatever. It's, it's instituted for a reason. Like, there, there are situations that have led to why they take this so seriously. Maurice Stokes being prime among them. And yeah, and this isn't like Kevin Love kind of being knocked around in the finals and then it looked like he probably shouldn't have been sent back in but was i mean stokes was out cold completely knocked out anyway yeah and he ended up having swelling of the brain and that's what took away his career his mobility and eventually his life because he died quite early but so anyway all that to say if you haven't heard that story it's an it's a well but wait no we, we really... left out the best part though the best part is so which part so after he's injured and then for the remainder of his life, until he died in 1970, his friend and teammate, Jack Twyman, took care of him, basically. I mean, he paid his medical bills. He helped him find places to live. He did, you know, just basic things to care for the guy. And what was really interesting was, 
given the time period, right? So we're talking about here the 60s when race relations were toxic. You think they're bad now. Oh, my goodness. They, you know, yeah. they were terrible back then. So Twyman is a, is a white man and Stoke is a black man. And so there's sort of that interesting dynamic as well going on at that time. But it was, it's, you know, really good story of, um, I mean, obviously not a good story that Stokes was hurt, but a good story about, the, you know, two friends and how one friend cared for another uh, for the remainder of his life. Anyway, you should read more about it if you're interested, because it, we could probably have a whole podcast about their relationship. But just, just really something interesting to, to look into. Yeah, well, maybe if, lis- if listeners are interested to this right now, let us know. Maybe we can dig more and do a whole Maurice Stokes uh podcast but all of that is just to kind of give a better idea of what we're trying to do and so since Maurice Stokes was never able to return to the court someone like him is disqualified also someone like Baron Davis who you know had a good career maybe not Hall of Fame level career but a very good player had a knee injury in that game in the playoffs with the Knicks and never returned to the court. I mean, he tried to make a comeback, but it never happened. So someone like that were disqualifying. It has to be a player who was all-star level, even if they didn't officially make an all-star game, just we're saying all-star level caliber player got hurt and returned and was just never the same. And also one caveat I want to say too, that we're, we're saying that the player's prime years still had to be ahead of him. So a player like Tracy McGrady, who we've talked about at length in a podcast and all of his injury history, and sure, his career was cut very short, or he the career that he had left was not the one that it was. But, I mean, his peak years were either he was in his prime or his prime was already behind him, correct? I mean, he put up right, no, I mean, he'd been incredible all, numbers. Yeah, he'd been all NBA something like mm-hmm. seven out of the eight previous seasons or something like that. So, it, you know, there was... He he had reached his peak definitely as a player. In fact, he reached his peak in Orlando. I would say, the one season the, yeah. in Orlando where he averaged thirty some points per game that was his peak as a player. Yeah, and as we said in that podcast, we both agreed that if when he comes up for election at the Hall of Fame, he should he should get in. So, yeah, the injuries derailed him a little bit, but not not completely like they did some other players. I mean, I think they they robbed him of an opportunity to hit some impressive milestones in terms of statistical milestones, but he was not going to be any better than he was. Yeah, and we're going to go through some of the players we've chosen that we're going to go through. Still ended up being very good players. Some of some of them, at least one, let me look at it, ended up in the Hall of Fame, but they just weren't they weren't what they could have been. And I think that's that's what we're looking for really in this list. So, those are the basic rules. It's subjective, all-star level before injury, prime still ahead of them, had to have returned from the injury. And again, this is not a worst injuries in basketball list. It is the players whose promise was broken, and that's why we're calling it the Broken Promise Team. Justin Cabaco, you ready to start this? Let's go. All right, let's break these guys down. Here's who we chose for our bench, okay? We, had, we have a couple little bench spots that we would chose. There are runners-up. First of them being Derrick Rose, the, the guy that inspired this. Derrick Rose was... The youngest MVP in history, right? If I'm correct on that, when he won the award. 20 points a game, 6 assists before his injury. And then, as we all know, as it played out in front of us in the playoff game, goes down grabbing his knee, and the Derrick Rose that we knew then never really came back. And the Derrick Rose that did come back has put up decent numbers, but I think Justin can explain a little bit more about it. He just wasn't the same player at all. No, you're saying he's put up decent numbers since he returned? That, that, I, would, I mean, if you look at... No, I would say well, that's, if that's just, absolutely false. He's been bad. He's been really, really bad. I mean, it, well, just, I'm just ignore the... the super- I'm trying to set you up. I'm trying to set you up by saying, like, if you look, he's still averaging 15, 16 points a game. Okay, so you're, yeah, if you're fixated on those assists. old-timey stats, like if you just look, Yeah, if you're just looking at that, like, if you draft him in your fantasy team, he's still going to give you a couple points. But, mate, it was my... I was a, Poor setup to try to let you get into the more advanced stuff that shows just how terrible he's been. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of boring to talk about stats, but yeah, I mean, just yeah, if you look at outside of the things like points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, he's been bad. He hasn't shot well. He's turned it over a lot. He's not getting to the line as much as he used to. Um, and really, the only reason he's not on the first team on our on our starting five is because his second act isn't complete yet. Right? There's still 
uh, a chance, however remote, that he'll once again become an all-star level player. I don't see it happening, but it, it could happen. It's not inconceivable. Um, but like, for example, the, the trade with the Knicks, I mean, Rose has been really bad. He's been so bad that, honestly, Robin Lopez has been a much more effective player than Derrick Rose over the last few years. And if you want to win games, Lopez is going to do more to help you out than Rose is. Sorry, it's, it's, it's the truth. Yeah, and the Knicks, you know, they might be buying based on, on name only here. It's kind of a, a weird trade for them because... It's almost, Rose... it's almost Barnyarny all over again. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. And it never, I mean, this never works. It never, ever works when you trade for a player like this. Um, you go back and see from all, you know, all of history, like players who were iconic with one team, something happened to where they're on their downslope, and then they go to another team and they talk about rebirth and a change of scenery is all they need. It never, ever works. And I don't know why they think uh, Derrick Rose is going to be any different but i mean you know and like so rose is kind of a guy you know, you kind of root for in a way you know what i mean like because he, he was never sort of a he was never a troublemaker he was never a guy that was hated by a, a large percentage of nba fans I th- so i think a lot of people feel sympathy for derrick rose um i do i mean you know the guys at the top at the top of his game he wins mvp now well, he only wins mvp basically because they were trying to find somebody other than lebron james to give it to but anyway he wins mvp at such a young age and then a devastating injury and it's just it's just hard to watch it's hard to watch a guy you knew was once at such at such a high level and now he can't even get close to that anymore yeah well i, I wouldn't say that Derek rose has been uh, completely free of controversy i mean he's currently um being accused of raping his ex-girlfriend so he hasn't been completely free of anything well no but, but i'm talking i'm talking about at the time like at the time he was hurt yeah you know i mean he had a pretty good reputation i believe yeah no i, I think that's true yeah but and i i think the next player that we have on our bench kind of suffers a similar uh post-injury fate as a uh, derrick rose at least in how his play was effective and that's uh agent zero Gilbert Arenas, who was an offensive machine, um, personal personal uh, choices of what he brings into the locker room aside, and uh, things like that. I mean, dude put up dude put up some insane numbers, and then he tore his MCL, and the Gilbert Arenas came back that was was not the Agent Zero that that we saw before. If you look at his um, just his points per game, almost cut in half from about 23 a game to 13 or something like that. Just could not score. And like you said with Derrick Rose, his free throw rate plummeted, which is usually a sign for explosive players like that, that they're not able to get to the rim like so they just, once were. They're hey, not just able real quick, to draw content. People aren't familiar. Free throw rate is the number of free throw att- attempts you shoot per 100 field goal attempts. Just just a way to measure yes. how often a guy's getting to the line. Um, and it's sort of... Uh, it's uh, a ratio, so it's not really taking into account playing time. Yeah, and that's where, same as Derrick Rose, both of them just plummeted because that that knee is what you use to, to pivot and push off and things like that. And once it's gone, it's, no matter how much you rebuild it back, it's for most people, it's never the same. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, and Arenas just, he really, his shooting ability suffered. I mean, well, he's, his shooting suffered after his return. He... His effective field goal percentage dropped about four percentage points, which you know is a big drop, and it's, it turned him into a, a below-average shooter. And Gilbert, Gilbert didn't get as big of a post-injury playing time as some of the other players that we talked about. He had where we base we base our comparisons when we say before and after. We usually try to select the time of the major injury and look at the numbers before that, and then look at the numbers subsequent. So with Gilbert, it was. When we say pre, it's pre-torn MCL and then post-torn MCL. That's that's what we're looking at. And like we said, the numbers aren't an exact science because there's all kinds of different factors that go into it. Like some players, we discussed about um, Fat Lever, about including him because Fat Lever had a huge drop in his stats that were could kind of be associated with injury, but he also went to a different team. He left those run and gun 
80s Nuggets team that we discussed in our first podcast on Alex English and went to the Mavericks, who this was pre-Mark Cuban Mavericks, the uh, the disaster Mavericks that didn't ever accomplish anything. And of course, his numbers plummeted. But we look at that and say, well, we don't know how much of that we can actually attribute to injury and how much of that is that change of scenery that actually hurt his career. So there's all kinds of different things we can go into about why a player plummeted. So that's where I guess the subjective nature of it comes in. Yep. Okay, so let's move on. Who's the who's the final member of our bench? All right, the final member of our bench is someone if we're going to talk about injury, we can't not bring him up and that's Yao. Um and Yao was really hard to kind of quantify because which which Yao injury do you actually look at? Because this dude just had a series of them. He had stress fractures and different broken bones and then the broken ankle in the playoffs is what seemed to really do it because he only played, what was it, five five regular season games after that before another injury and had, having to just call it call it quits. Yao's was more like a, just his was just chronic. It wasn't like a certain one thing that that took him down, but definitely cut short of what he could have become. No, I mean, right? I mean, yeah, I and if, if, if you look at his like his first three years, he was fine. He played. 82 games his first two seasons. I mean, both seasons he played a full full slate of games. He appeared in 80 games his third season. And then he starts missing games. 25 games, 34 games, 27 games. Then in 2009, he only misses five. But then he misses the entire next season. Plays five games in 2010-11. And then he's done. He's retired. He had shown so much progress from the beginning. Because I remember, I remember going to a game at... Uh, what was then the Compact Center, which is now Lakewood Church in Houston. Did you know that? That Joel Osteen has the, uh, his church is in the building that the Rockets used to play in? I did not, but I remember you telling me that at one point, off air. I remember you telling yeah. me that. Nice nice little fact for anyone who doesn't live in Houston. Anyway, so I went to Lakewood Church to watch uh, Yao Ming play in his rookie year, and he was so just bumbling and awkward and just just a little bitch just they pushed him around he fell down all the time getting like a like a baby deer like him running was like a baby deer get caught up in their legs and just trip and fall and so i remember people in houston the hot takes in houston was what a bust he was going to be and what a terrible pick it was going to be but he got his stuff together and he wasn't the ever the best center in the game as long as Shaq was was there but Towards the end of that rivalry, I mean, Yao held his own against him and gave gave Shaq good games. And Yao was averaging 20 and 10 before he goes down. So the only problem with not saying that Yao is one of like the biggest injury uh, tr- casualties of the NBA is that we have some that were somehow even worse than him. But Yao was just inducted into the Hall of Fame, but not because of his numbers per se or his basketball career but because the dude changed the game on a global scale but let's not i mean let's not minimize what he did he was think five times an all nba selection never first team but still five times an all nba selection and maybe what uh six all-star games or something like that so it's like he was not he was a really good player and truth be told when the rockets drafted him i thought okay this is sean bradley 2.0 that was I thought that's that's the best that's the best hope for him is that he'll be Sean Brad, Sean Bradley version two and that's what he looked and played like and yeah you got to give him credit for how much work he put in to elevate his game and from my time with the Rockets I don't know I never heard a single bad thing about him and team employees get I can speak from experience get really jaded towards NBA players really fast because of just everything you can imagine about what it's like to have to work with an NBA player. Yes, it's true. But Yao never heard a single bad thing about him. I missed him. I, I started working there the year after he retired and um, just was beloved by everyone as a, as a good dude. I don't know if that makes his case anymore, but interesting fact, right? Yeah, and you know, let's not minimize his rookie year because you're kind of making it sound like he was helpless out there. He averaged 13 points, 8 boards, shot like 50% from the field, 80% from the line. He's a good player. I think he was second in the rookie of the year voting to Mari Stoudemire that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, I mean, he may have looked awkward, but 
he was producing some decent numbers, and he was he was a good player from the start. Yeah. All right, Yao coming off of our bench. So let's go through. Let's start with our small forward. Our small forward is a player who I think we could have been talking about as one of the best players ever, if not for injuries, if not for a broken ankle that just sent his career on a different trajectory, and that is Mr. Grant Hill. Grant Hill, even now, post-injury, if you do a search on StatMuse, only six players have more triple-doubles than him since 1985. But the problem is, even though he had a career that kept going and he was a decent, I mean, a little more than a role player maybe, he never put up a triple-double after 98-99. You know, that, that Grant Hill that could just take over games with the with the Pistons once the injury happened just he that explosive potential all-time great player just never came back no I mean and like his career just got off to a great start he wins rookie of the year in 1995 actually co-rookie of the year he and Jason Kidd shared the award Um, and then after that five consecutive all-nba selections so like right from the start he's 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 like He's there. He's all-star level. He is a major, major player. In fact, I looked this up. Only three players have averaged 20 points, seven rebounds, and six assists per game after their first six seasons. So Hill's obviously one of them, since I'm bringing this up. The other two are LeBron James and Oscar Robertson. So he is in some pretty elite company. That's good company. Yes. Good company. But like we said, he kept his career kept going, and... If we actually look at his his stats after the injury, his offensive rating actually went up. But okay, yeah, and that's that that's do, very his usage. Yeah, it's very yeah. misleading. Very misleading. Yeah, his usage went way down. He was no longer the primary option. He was no longer the superstar stud. But he still had a decent career, which a lot of players that go down with an injury like him don't get the chance to. And it really, I remember when it happened. Think, I mean, thinking that he was done that he was never going to come back from this, that he had, it had all the makings of career ending. But, I mean, to his credit, he came back. And now he's got that sweet gig as the, uh, the new host for NBA Inside Stuff with, uh, what's her name? Kristen whatever. Well, and he also calls NCAA, so, I don't even know, I don't watch the show. He also calls NCAA basketball games. In fact, he called the finals this year, I believe, with, uh, with TBS. So, good for Grant. But, yeah, I mean, like you were saying yeah. about his offensive rating going up, so yeah, offensive rating is points produced per 100 possessions. But the thing is, he like he became a completely different player. So what happened was, his effective field goal percentage went up. So he became a more efficient shooter. But his usage went way down. He went from having like a superstar level usage to just like an average player usage. His assist rate plummeted, cut more than half. So he wasn't the playmaker anymore. Uh, his turnovers dropped. But that's because he really wasn't the focal point in the offense anymore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even though he was a more efficient offensive player, he wasn't a better offensive player by any means. Yeah, and I think you can give him credit because he did what so many either aging or injured superstars are unable to do, which is adjust their game and to, you know, play the hand that you're dealt. And he gave himself a good career. Um, he was with those run-and-gun, uh, the Dan Tony Nash sons, right? For a while, yeah. I mean, he was... Yeah, he was a part of that team. So, I mean, he had success. And the only problem is if you if you start listing who were the best players of all time, I think you have to go pretty far down the list before you say Grant Hill. And it definitely looked for those first few years in Detroit that he was going to be much, much higher on the list, which is why we think his that's why he earns a spot in our starting lineup. Well, in, but he still know- has the best... Sorry, go ahead. I was just say, you know, one of the great what-ifs in NBA history is what if Grant Hill, when he sprained his ankle in April of 2000, what if he had just shut it down at that point? Because what he did was yeah. he continued to play, he made it worse, made it worse, made it worse, and eventually he needed numerous surgeries on that ankle. So it's like that's, that's kind of a great what-if. What if when he injured that ankle, he just decided to shut it down for the season, sit out the playoffs, let it heal, and come back the next season? We'll never know, obviously. But, and of course... The- yeah, another... I'll say we looked at um, Allen Houston for this list. And, of course, he didn't make the cut. But 
he kind of did the same thing with his injury. Didn't have it taken care of. Didn't have the surgery that was recommended. It's like, I'm going to play through it. And it, it ended his career. People always talk about like when players sit or when players like take time off and like, oh, well, the fans pay good money to come see them and people get upset by that. But yeah, you got to realize, I mean, these guys, it's their career. It's their lifeline, you know, their their financial stability, whatever you want to call it, is on the line. So sometimes when these guys sit out, it's because the, the human body just needs rest. And as Grant Hill shows, if you don't properly take care of it, well, there are, there are repercussions. But Grant Hill ended up a lot better off than some of the other players we're going to talk about coming up. Well, you know, like just one more fun fact about Grant. So after that 2000 season, he then signs a free agent contract with the Magic. Well, he didn't sign a contract, actually. He agreed to a contract with the Magic, and the Pistons ended up doing a sign-and-trade. Do you know who the Pistons got in that trade? That became a focal, or not a focal point, but it became a very, very key member of their championship team. Chauncey Billups? Nope. Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace? Was part of that trade. Ben Wallace? Yep. Wow. So it worked out, worked out okay for them. It did. But Grant Hill will always have the best um, full court overhead uh, inbounds passed in NCAA history. So he's always going to have that. And he's a Duke player that I don't think a lot of people hate, which that's kind of rare, right? I don't have anything against Duke, but people just hate the hell out of Duke. Anyway, let's move on to a player who did not have as much luck as... Grant Hill and being able to bounce back, and that is former number one overall pick Ralph Sampson, who was paired with Akeem and the Rockets to be the Twin Towers, got all the way to the NBA Finals, but lost to Bird, McHale, and the Celtics, and then career was just derailed by multiple knee and back injuries to the point to where he fell from a 20-10 and 10 guy to like an 8-6 and 6 guy, even though his, his minutes went down, but his usage really didn't go down that much. He just he just couldn't do it anymore. The string bean just couldn't put the ball up the way he used to. And many predicted Ralph Sampson coming into the league as being a potential Hall of Fame type player. And he did get in. He got in two years ago, I think. Yes. But he's not to the he's not to the level that he was expected. Am I right? Right. And the Hall of Fame, remember, it's not just for accomplishments in the NBA. Not just prof- NBA. Professional yeah. basketball. I mean, so... Sampson, this is amazing. Sampson was a three-time AP NCAA Player of the Year. We won't, we won't see that again because... Yeah, because no one plays three years anymore. <laughs> well, not even just... He played four years, I think. But like, just like if a person wins Player of the Year, he's probably gonna going to leave for the, for the NBA draft. I mean, so three-time NCAA Player of the Year. Amazing. Yeah, and we looked at... We put him at power forward because he technically was listed as a power forward whenever he played alongside Akeem and Akeem was the center. So we have a really tall power forward, but that's what that's what they had back in the day. And he after those years with the Rockets, he kind of bounced around multiple teams and just the typical kind of sad story of a this superstar that just doesn't have it anymore. And his his career which was just really decimated. Yeah, I mean, I would call him post-injury. This may seem harsh, but I think it's true. Post-injury one of the worst NBA players ever. Seriously, he was just, Ugh. he was bad. And of course, it, later in life, he, things didn't go so well for him either. He had some off the court, off the court problems, some legal problems later in life, which I don't know if we want to talk about those, but he just, yeah, that things, life went downhill for, for Mr. Sampson after that, that first injury. But on the positive note, he did make our list and there's, there's something to be proud of with that. Yeah, just send us your address, Ralph, and we'll, we'll put the plaque in the mail. Yep. All right. That's enough just dumping on the legacy of Ralph Sampson. All right. Let's go. Since he's our power forward, let's get to our true center. This is a guy that I think we both maybe kind of agreed is if we had to, if we had to rank the players numerically, this he would be our number one as far as career that was most derailed and that is bill walton and i think the reason we discussed about this saying why we would put him over anyone is that at one point in time you could have made the argument that bill walton was the best player in the nba 
not definitive, but you could have made that argument. Yeah, no, yeah, he was he was right up there with Kareem in the discussion. I mean, th- those two guys were just amazing basketball players. But and if you look at, sorry, I was gonna say if you look at some of Bill Walton's like statistical uh, graphs on StatMuse, he was kind of like the the perfect case of this because you see everything just kind of curve up at the beginning and then it reaches that apex and then just comes crashing down and his career is a little hard to kind of define as like when is pre and post injury because he was kind of in a constant state um in his first two seasons he at some point in time he had a broken nose foot wrist and leg like everything just broke on this guy Right, and th- um, those were just his first two seasons. His first two seasons, he had yeah. all those injuries. He missed 78 games those two seasons. And then once he's healthy and finally plays a decent amount of games, he leads the NBA in rebounds and blocks and leads Portland to the to the title. And on the way, they swept the Lakers with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So it's Walton versus Jabbar. Walton gets the best of them. Then they go down 2-0 to Philly in the, in the finals, and, and they come back. And win it. Right. They won the last and four games of that series. And then the following season, guess what happens? They're potentially he his foot. one of the... No, but hold on, though. You're, you're missing an important part here. The next season, they come back. Oh, tell me. And they're potentially one of the greatest teams of all time. They started the season 50-10. and 10. So, 10 losses in 60 yeah. games. That's pretty amazing. But Walton breaks his foot. Misses the rest of the regular season team goes like 8 and 14 the rest of the way. Walton manages to come back for the playoffs. Game 2, he hurts his foot again. Just just a yeah. terrible and he's, story. And he's but he was still so good during that run that he got he won the league MVP that. Right, year. he played 58 games, which really is not that many. In fact, it's the fewest ever by an MVP in a non-lockout season. But yeah, in those 58 games, the voters saw enough to award him the most valuable player. And then his his career as the the best player in the NBA, arguably, was pretty much done at that point. He eventually gets uh, he bounces around for a couple other teams and finds his way to the Celtics, where he kind of becomes a six man for them and is part of their championship, one of their championship runs. So he ends up getting a second ring. And he was six man. He was six man of the year. So I mean, he's yeah. he's not just got a good sub. He's the best sub in the league according to the voters at that time. But you know, like and he's still you're sort of sorry. I say he's still the only player who's ever won six man regular season MVP and NBA Finals MVP. So I mean dude has dude has some hardware like on his shelves and probably attached to his bones as well. Yeah, and you kind of glossed over this like making that jump from going to Portland to Boston, but like in that span, he missed 3 full seasons. So like the season after his MVP yeah. season, he missed the entire season. 78-79. Then he plays like 14 games with the Clippers the next year. And then he misses the entire next two seasons. So three out of four seasons, he was out the entire season. The one season he does get to play, he plays 14 games. So just a tragic story. And just a guy whose who's body betrayed him, his feet betrayed him. He just could not stay on the court. I, I think a healthy Walton would have been one of the top five centers of all time. If he, if he had a complete career where he had remained relatively healthy and managed to... To have a few more seasons where you know he's not having these horrible uh, foot problems, I, I think he's in the discussion for one of the five best centers of all time. Yeah, and he's still he's in the Hall of Fame, but like you said, his college career has is factored into that because he was a dominant college player. Right, I think he well. was. You know, yeah. we're talking about Sampson being a three-time Player of the Year. I think Walton may have been as well, and of course, I think he was also a three-time champion. So. Yeah, because he was playing for Wooden um, at UCLA, right? Yes, and he was on those teams that won, what was their winning streak, 88 consecutive games or something like that? So, I mean, a very, very, very accomplished collegiate player, and that coupled with winning an MVP award in the NBA, to me, makes him a, a no doubt about a Hall of Famer, given the, the ground rules of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I, I think with a lot of current NBA fans I mean he's known more for his uh, play-by-play work and his his voice and being uh, Luke's dad and his love of the Grateful Dead his playing career 
He does love the Grateful Dead, and his uh, he loves very tight T-shirts too. That dude will that dude will rock a tight T-shirt. But he's like, hey, I'm Bill Walton. I can wear whatever I want. What are you gonna do? So let's stay in Portland and move on to. Uh, we're gonna stay in the injury capital of the NBA and go to one that makes me very sad because I really like this player, and uh, that's Brandon Roy for our shooting guard. Brandon Roy, of course, had the arthroscopic surgery on both of his knees multiple times. Just his knees were just done, and there was nothing. They tried fixing them, nothing they could do. Right. So of all the players, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say up front, like you, I have, I really like Brandon Roy. And in the interest of full disclosure, part of that is because I was a Blazers consultant from 2008-9 through the 2010-11 season. So I, I sort of have, I don't know Brandon, but there's sort of this connection to him that, you know, I, I really, he was a really, really good player. Really good. Well, do you remember, did you ever give any uh, consulting related to him or any advice? Were you involved in no, no. Like <laughs> pushing for them to get him or anything like that? No, you know, no. Let's talk about my, my disastrous NBA experience. Let's we can bring up your NBA experience. Uh, well, so my, no, my, I find it first, fascinating. My experience in Portland was really good. There's no disasters there, and I, I was not a full-time employee. I was a consultant, so worked on the side. Um, but they already had Roy when I got there, so it wasn't. I didn't recommend they acquire him or draft him or anything. He was already there. Yeah, and Roy, of all the players we considered, how many did we we had like 13, 15 players that we came up with and ran the numbers on. Of all the players we considered for this list uh brandon roy had the highest pre-injury offensive rating uh if i'm looking at that he had a yeah it was almost like 117 almost 117 116.7 i mean and then i was going through just trying to remember what an electrifying player he was i was watching some of the highlights like his top 10 plays and he could shoot he had i don't know how many buzzer beaters they showed that he pulled off like raining threes from the 28-foot line to win games or tie games. But then they could throw him alley-oops, and he could leap up and dunk the ball. I mean, he could dribble and cut people. Like, he had the complete package until his knees just started giving way. And he his struggle was kind of, if I'm remembering correctly, it was just kind of sad because he just kept having operation after operation he attempted to come back as recently as this season right when he um then the timberwolves sign him in training camp i believe and you know he just has kept trying but it's just it just never happened for him yeah i, th- I think it's it's similar to what we talked about with grant hill where i think brandon was trying to return too quickly from these injuries and in the process just really made them worse and, you know, so just people who maybe aren't really familiar with Brandon Roy, I mean, this is a guy who early on in his career was being recognized as a top player. He was an all-star at age 23. So at 23, he has his first all-star selection and then has two more after that. And the next season at age 24, he's an all-NBA selection, and he was at age 25 too. So, you're talk- you know, you're talking about a guy who through age 25, three all-star selections, two all-NBA selections. This is a guy who's you know, in the top 15 players in the league, 20 players in the league. Yeah, sky was the limit with this guy. And, of course, he came crashing down. And I think there was one, I think there was one playoff game, right, after his 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 really serious injury. I think there was one playoff game. I, I'm probably messing up the details on went this. Off, but, but I believe it was against the Mavericks. Yeah, he went and he had like 24 quarter. points yeah. or something like that. And it was just amazing to watch because like that's the old Brandon Roy. That's the guy, you know, that, that's the guy that was worth the max contract. That's the all-NBA guy. But sadly, it was just sort of a, a glimpse at what was. And it was not a glimpse at what will be in the future. Yeah, he had a 50-point game. He had multiple... Just games where he took over and could be that electrifying type player. Like the same, this is always blasphemous, but you know, when you're comparing skill sets of player, like similar things that you could, you saw that Kobe Bryant could do, that you saw that those, those elite shooting guards that had kind of everything as part of their game, at least offensively, he had that, 
that skill set. And sadly, it was all taken away because just the the knees. That's most of the guys we talk about are uh, have to do with the knees. I mean, well, I mean that's the, the sport, goes, right? That's pro- that's the that's yeah. the pressure point, I guess. And you know, just talking about Brandon too off the court. So in those three seasons I worked for the Blazers, I never heard any member of the front office ever say anything but good things about Brandon Roy. I mean, I, I so I didn't know him personally, but based on the things I heard, he seemed like a really good dude, and he was w- really well respected in in that uh, within that team. Yeah, and that's what makes it. That, that's why I said I, like I get sad when I think about Brandon Roy. That's what makes it worse when it happens to someone who's a a decent human being. When you're a sociopath and you treat everyone like garbage and bad things happen to you, it's like, uh, you know, you can kind of brush it off. Say, ah, well, you're a you're a piece of crap. Or you you brought guns into the locker room and pointed it at your teammates, Agent Zero. So you don't really feel as bad about about that as you do these these guys who you you kind of root for. But I mean, we could make we could have made a team of just Portland Trailblazers that that could have fit the fit the bill for this with Olden, Odin, Walton, Roy, um, Sam Bowie, Sam Bowie, uh, who else? I don't know. I'm sure. I don't All I know if, if I'm just telling Damian Lillard, if you, if you come in like feeling sore or something, don't jinx day, him like that. Come on. Be, don't just do be not terrify him. Be Stop. terrified. Stop. Like it's it. There's something in the water in Portland or it's the, uh, too many voodoo donuts that are just breaking down the bones and the and the cartilage there that the players. Of course, that's not completely true. I mean, Clyde Drexler had a whole Hall of Fame career there, and he was fine. And I'm sure Damian Lillard's going to be fine too. But yeah, it's just the anytime Portland's up on the on the draft on draft day and there's a big man available, just like don't do it, don't take him. Yeah, just just pass. Just 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 don't even make the pick. All right, one spot left, our point guard. And this is one that we kind of went back and forth on because Derrick Rose was in the running and a few others. But I think the guy that we that we decided to be our point guard was... it. Justin's a little bit older than I am, but coming up, he was the one of the most exciting players when I was first getting an interest in the NBA um, as a... Well, how old was I? 12, 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. And this dude was just the shit and going back and watching some of his plays just highlights like you wouldn't believe. And of course, that guy is Anthony Penny Hardaway, whose greatness was just taken away again by his knees just falling apart multiple times. And looking back at what he could do, I mean, first of all, it looked like he weighed about 87 pounds and like his jersey was just dra- just draped over him, but Dude made some Magic Johnson type passes, just exciting electric plays uh, on offense. And then you look at his assist, his assist rate, assist uh, percentage after the injury. Just it just fell fell off the off the map, like almost nine percent um, of the the assist rate. Justin, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the percentage of plays that a player assists on a basket that a player assists on while he's on the floor well not not exactly it's the percentage of teammate field goals assisted on so it's gotcha okay gotcha right but i mean and you know like part of that his assist rate following is just a change in in role i mean he goes from being primary ball handler to being a secondary piece you know what i mean so yeah. I, you know, a, a lot of that, a lot of these drops and in, in these statistics, these percentages are are just simply due to a huge change in role because they go from being the man to being one of the men, and obviously there's a big difference. Yeah, and if you can see overall, even. Sorry, go ahead. I was just, I was just saying, if you're the man, you get a max contract. If you're one of the men, you get the mid-level exception. Yeah, big difference there, but you also see even taken into account whatever role he was playing for whatever team he he was with at the time his his still his offensive production just was terrible he had the biggest offensive rating drop of any of the players that we considered like once his injuries started his offensive rating dropped over 16 percentage points so i mean he just wasn't contributing the way that he used to and 
that that Orlando Magic team just will forever be one of the great what ifs because it they they were a dynasty in the making. All right, yeah, I mean, the, and the, Shaq. yeah, Hardaway's second year in the NBA, they're in the NBA Finals. He and Shaq are in the NBA Finals. They get swept by the Rockets, but you know, at the time, if you would ask people. Hey, is this going to be the only time this team ever makes the finals? Most people probably would have said no. They're going to be there multiple yeah, times. Same thing. Yeah. S- same thing. I think that's kind. Of, they were kind of the uh, to uh, a generation before, like the Oklahoma City Thunder. Whenever they they made it to the finals a couple of years back and lost, and we're like, all right, well that was just they're a young team. They're going to be back like at infinitum. Like this team is going to be the next the next dynasty. And then of course they. They break break up their big three, and they just had they've still been good, but have never reached that mountaintop again. But whereas the Magic, it just completely fell apart, and ultimately with Shaq leaving, Penny's just a shell of himself. He ends up bouncing around in Phoenix for a little bit, and just is is never that player that people were comparing to Michael Jordan at the time, and people were jumping all over the place to get his shoes, which his those original Penny shoes were just were just incredible. God, I love those shoes. But my mom, I hated though. I hated the me. creepy little penny doll, or little penny, little. Penny. You didn't like you didn't like the commercials with no, the no. Chris Rock. You didn't it, like little. It was creepy. Why? Why didn't you like it? I Come don't on, know. that was that was adorable. Know. It's like something from a horror the, movie or something. Have bad yeah, dreams. Well, they, yeah. Little Penny's gonna come up and stab me when I'm sleeping or something. Like <laughs> yeah. Well, they stopped making penny shoes and uh, little penny commercials after a while because he just. He was not a basketball shoe commercial material, but now he's getting the retro love with all the re-releases. And I've, I've wanted to buy some just because as a kid, like I said, my mom was smart enough to say, you don't buy a little kid in the country these $150 shoes that he's just gonna destroy. And now as an adult, I see the re-releases and I'm like, oh my God, I've always wanted them. You know, I'm rolling in the StatMuse dough. I can afford them. <laughs> But <laughs> for people who've never seen me and seen what I look like, let's just say I'm not high quality, like super basketball shoe wearing type. Like if I was walking around in these, no, Jordan, you're, you're, I, I love a lot of Jordans, but I, I could never put on a pair of Jordans and walk around and not hate myself. No, you are not in like the, like the target group for the marketing department <laughs> for these shoes. Yeah. They are not considering me, but you know, you know who is considering me? Under Armour, with their uh, their Steph Curry dad shoes that everyone lost their mind over. And I even saw, like, I even looked at them. It's like those are kind of plain, but somewhere like deep down inside, I'm like, uh, they're not that bad. And I'm like, oh my god, what is happening to me? Like they're, like, I had to keep telling myself, no, they're ugly. They're ugly. They're terrible. You would never wear those. Ah, oh, but they look so comfortable. All right, you love talking about shoes. Let's I, stop because you go on these shoe tangents, and then I, could, I do like talking about shoes. I I, I enjoy me some some shoe talk. I'm, I'm sure we have a small segment of our population that's as into basketball. If shoes you want to talk I running am. shoes, I'm all in. But I am not all in on basketball. I don't shoes. know anything about running shoes, but I do I do know that that it's like the for basketball cool basketball shoes are like the forbidden fruit for me. That I just I, I can't wear and I can't put on flat brim like uh, new era hats either fitted hats. No, you can't. You can't pull like that a, off. I just so. look like a damn idiot. I just look like such an idiot. Wait, now let's let's, t- let's anyway. turn this back to Penny. A trivia question for you: Who drafted okay. Penny Hardaway? Oh, um, uh, God, I know this. <sighs> Hornets? No, the Warriors. Uh, who did the magic? Oh my who did, God, who did right. the magic draft? Oh, the Hornets drafted Kobe. The who did the magic Kobe. draft? That they traded. Yep, traded for Penny. He was Rookie of the Year that year. Chris Webber. Yep. Chris Webber. Yep. Chris Webber. Chris Webber. That's right. Yeah. Lit- Chris Webber, who was a candidate on our list. He was as well. You're right. He, but he had like Tracy McGrady and some others. I mean, he had a really good run before the injuries kind of started taking him down. Whereas some of his injuries and like that, some of it can just be contributed to old age uh, and just the body given away. Whereas someone like Penny or Brandon Roy, who was still in the prime and uh, the upswing of their career, and then were just taken down. Yeah, I would say like yeah, I would say like pretty much all of these guys, maybe with the exception of Grant Hill, we were robbed of a chance to see them at their very best. Even Walton winning MVP, I still think Walton 
there was more that Walton could have done. We could have seen more from Walton, which is amazing to think about when a guy's MVP, but I think it could have happened. And so maybe the only guy we selected on our team who I would say may have peaked is Grant Hill. The rest of them, I don't think they did. Yeah, when we when we initially pitched this, my first thought was all was Grant Hill. Was Grant Hill, like I said, was on his way to being a Mount Rushmore type player and ended up still with a decent career, but not what he could have been. And he's the first thing that popped in my head. But as we discussed it, um, your your pitch for Bill Walton sounds um, it's pretty hard to argue against it. That the dude was the dude was a stud. The dude was put up there in the same breath with Kareem as far as you know being able to hold his own not too many people can can say that so yeah like we said if we had to rank anyone if we had to say this is the one player whose career was most adversely derailed whose promise was the most broken it's Bill Walton right I would concur are we agree we're agreeing on that with we- Grant Hill maybe a close second oh I don't know about Hill second I, mm. At least in my book, this this is where we start to get yeah. really and it, it gets really messy because so much of it is so subjective. Right, and we can tell that I tried I tried coming up with a with a formula. It's like we need to rank these like somehow to where we can average their stats and numbers. And Justin's like, I don't know if that's possible. I'm like, well, let me try something. And I averaged together some of these stats to come up with an in like a one number we could rank them on. It was, like and a, it was just a drop it index. Was statistical yeah, Justin, <laughs> Justin's like. Let me tell you, uh, this makes no sense whatsoever, what you just did. And yeah. let me let me explain why I'm now dumber for having heard this idea that you've pitched. So that's why we came up with uh, our starting five of our, our Broken Promise team. So I, I anyway. actually think this is a good way to do it, too. It's, it's, it's a good way to do it. I like the team aspect. I do, too. I think, so I think Wal- Walton is our captain. Wal- Walton is our captain, right? Yes, Walton is our captain because of his mutton chops and his fiery red hair and so there's there's he's like a game he looked like a game of thrones character like bill walton was a wild was a wild link back in the day and he could ball so in closing let's wrap this up a little bit i know with anything like this there's always going to be a lot of debate there may be some players you feel that we left out or someone that we should have ranked more highly than we did or someone that we put on there that was garbage and should have never been on there if so let us know. We'd like to hear what you think about this. Hit us up on Twitter at, at StatMuse for the, for the company account or Justin directly at, at JayKabatko, me directly at, at ChadJShanks. And be sure if you downloaded this on iTunes, first of all, thank you for subscribing. Second of all, check out our blog at blog.statmuse.com. We're going to put some videos of highlights of some of these players, some of the StatMuse searches that we referenced just to give you kind of a visual understanding of how we got to the point that we did. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. My name is Chad Shanks. His name is Justin Kabatko. This was another episode of Stat Stories.